name is Michael Chesterman. My wife and I served in Cape Town, South Africa for about four years. Um, and this church has been amazing. Um, and what I do here is I help connect people with small groups. I do a lot of the multimedia stuff. And I also help coordinate some of our missions that we're a part of here. Um, and so now that you know a little bit about what I do here, let me share with how I got here. Um, so I grew up in a Southern Baptist home where my dad was the pastor. He was pastor for about eight years in a little town in Missouri. And I grew up in a three by five mile town and everybody knew everybody's name. Um, I was a kid who was on fire for the Lord. Anybody who would listen to me talk about Jesus, I would share who Jesus was. And I did that up until about seventh or eighth grade when my family decided to move down here to Georgia. We lived in Snellville. Um, I went to Brookwood High School. Please forgive me. Um, and that's when life started to really get a hold of me. And I started to give in to the pressures of the world where I was angry and bitter at God for moving me away from my friends and family and the people we had grown to love. And that's when my journey really started for me to develop my own faith. And so as, as I got older, um, and as moving to Georgia caused a lot of tension within my family, my parents started arguing a lot. And there's just no escape. We lived in a little apartment. Um, and I have one older brother. And at this point, he was actually about to be in college and could just get away and didn't need to be around, you know. And so I didn't really have anybody to go to. And by the time I was a senior, my parents divorced. My brother's off in college, nowhere to be really seen. Um, and I started to realize that life isn't what, it, what I thought it used to be. And... I started to get even angrier and more bitter at God for the fact that my view of love and marriage and God had been shattered by the fact of my parents getting a divorce. And I'd been doing really well and not getting too much into the drinking and party scene until this moment. And so my senior year of high school up through my college years was a big party scene, a lot of drinking and a lot of just trying to escape the reality of where I was in my life. Um, but God still has a way of getting a hold of you even in those moments. My dad ended up getting remarried a couple years later. My mom went to Swaziland, Africa for about, she was there for about seven years, I think. Um, and it was during my senior year of college that God was like, there's more to life than what you're doing. There's more to life than just trying to escape. And I cried out to God. I remember, I remember this clearly being really drunk and crying out to God saying, I want more to my life than just this. And God answered my prayers. I was able to go visit my mom in Swaziland. And it was an amazing experience where I met some lifelong friends who just invested in me. They saw God in me and just poured into me in the three weeks that I was there. And it was through that experience that I realized there is more to life than what I'm doing. There's more to it. So I get back to the States, I'm radically changed, at least I felt that way, and I go, all right, God, what do you have for me? And I moved to Connecticut to go to grad school, which I only did one semester, um, and it was during that time that I asked God, I want friends who can hold me accountable, I want friends who can be there for me to support me, and I don't want to drink anymore, and I want friends that will help me along that journey. And that's exactly what he gave me. I had friends that I could call up, didn't matter what time. They would show up to my house, hang out with me. If I bought any booze, they'd pour it out for me. And they were really amazing friends who held me accountable to my actions and to what I was doing. Well, as I've learned, as I got closer to God, 
Temptation likes to rear its ugly head, and it likes to poke at you. And at this stage in my journey, I took the bait. I ended up dating this girl, and she was married. And in my heart, I was like, no, nothing will ever happen. I'll never date a married woman. That's not going to happen. That's not who I am. I'm, I'm better than that. Well, it happened, and it wasn't a good situation. And as I knew what I was doing was wrong, sinful, living in shame and guilt, I still continued on this journey. I continued down this path, digging myself into a deeper and deeper hole that I had no clue of how to get out of it. Didn't know what I was doing. And I convinced her that she should get a divorce, that we should be together. We ended up getting an apartment and living together for a couple months. And then everything just blew up. And I remember calling my dad. And I, um, I called him up. And I'm like, Dad, I've done something really bad. He's like, all right, what's going on? And I go, well, I'm dating a married woman. There's this long pause, and I'm expecting there to be judgment, condemnation, and I've had a lot of friends confront me about it, a lot of close people that were just my influence in Connecticut. Just, yeah, they approached me in ways that I didn't really respect or care for, that I felt judged, condemned. I already knew what I was doing was wrong, and they just kind of threw it in my face. That's how I felt. And so my dad just pauses and he goes, what's she like? I was like, that's a weird response to get from someone who was a Southern Baptist pastor. Um, but okay. So I, I talked to him for about an hour, hour and a half. And at the end of it, he was just like, you know, I don't think it will work out. But if it does, I'll embrace her into my family. She'll be one of us. If it doesn't, I'll be here for you to help pick up the pieces and we can just move on together. And for me, that was the first time I truly felt what unconditional love from another person was. You hear it a lot about who God is as unconditional love and affection. But as people, we, we screw up a lot. And to hear this coming from my dad impacted me so much. So I was like, I can trust him with anything. I can go to him and there will be no judgment. There will just be love. And that's what I felt. And so it didn't work out. Blew up. I was miserable, but my dad was there for me. And it's funny because a friend of mine who had met in Swaziland messaged me and goes, you should go to Youth with a Mission and do their six-month discipleship training school. Out of the blue, hadn't talked to her in months. She just sends that to me. I'm like, all right, cool. So I prayed about it, and I was like, God, I know I need to get on a better path. I want to have a better relationship with you. And he goes, really? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, in order to do that, I want you to go to apologize to each person that you lied to, that you manipulated, that you hurt while you're involved in the affair. I was like, whoa, okay. Very humbling experience to have to do that. So that's what I did. I made a list of all the people that God brought to my mind. I wrote it down, and I went to each one of those people in person and apologized. And, I mean, I apologized to her and her husband and... God does amazing things. They're actually still married and have a kid. So God just redeems so many amazing things. Um, but through that experience, it was humbling. I felt like I had just fallen and I was in this pit of sin that I had to dig myself out in order to be in the presence of God. This is where I was at in this time of going to apologize to all these people. It was in my own pride and arrogance that I thought I could make myself righteous in order to be in the presence of God. Then I 
go and I join Youth with a Mission, Cape Town, South Africa. That's where I met my amazing, wonderful wife who's in the back with our firstborn writer. Um, and it was there that God radically transformed me in South Africa. And I realized God's grace isn't about anything I can do. It's never about what I can do because what I do will screw it up every single time. It's about what God can do through me and that I just get to be in the presence of God. I don't have to do anything to be there. And so I've been living this lie of I need to dig myself out when God's like, just look at me. I'm right here with you. All you got to do, look at me and own it and repent and turn from your ways. And that's it. That's all I require of you. And that is what the biggest takeaway I really learned from YWAM. And God just took my shame, took my guilt, took any just bad thought from that whole experience to where now I stand in freedom saying that that situation has no hold on my life. Never, never will ever again. And I'm very, I'm very thankful to God to be able to say that, that he was the one who pulled me out of the pit and pulled me out of my sin and my shame and my guilt so that I could live free and be able to share this story without the pain and the hurt that it had um, years ago. And it was amazing. Then after I get back from my six-month discipleship training school, I was in the States for about a month, and then my dad passes away. He died in a car crash going to pick my stepmom up from work. And that was... Again, one of the hardest days of my life. Um, I heard the voice of God telling me that he is good for 24 hours in the back of my head. That's all I could really focus on is just God is good. God is good. And in the midst of a tragedy, that's weird to say. A lot of people, and even I'm still learning the gravity of what that means. God taught me that I've been looking at my dad as my earthly father with higher expectations than I should. And then I needed to focus on God as my heavenly father. And through that experience, I've gotten closer to God as my heavenly father than I ever could have, even if my dad was alive. Do I wish he was? Yes, I do. But God has taught me so much through this experience that he redeems any and all situations and he redeems our stories and he's just always there for us. And it was through, through that that, God was able to provide for Stephanie and I to stay in South Africa, to minister, to be there, and to do what he had called us to do. And it was a horrible situation that God turned into an amazing thing for his glory. And so we continued, after he passed away, we continued to stay in YWAM, and we were there up until about December. And that's when um, we decided to come here to the church, and Tim was absolutely amazing. And just to thank you guys as a church for missionaries coming back, one of the things that I will tell you is that community is very important. The value of community, without my friends that I had in Connecticut to help me to stop drinking, without the people I had to invest in my life in my little trip to Swaziland, without the people investing in me in the community in Africa and here, I would not be the person that I am today. So to really just say thank you to this community because it's been a hard transition of coming back to the States and just getting reacquainted with the American culture and to have a community like you guys just embrace us and give us friendships and just I value that so much. And so just say thank you, but also to do a little plug of it's important to get involved in small groups. Community to me is one of the most valuable things you can ever have. And so if you're not in a small group, please find a way to get involved in one. And it's up to you to do it. If you're sitting there feeling like, I don't have any friends, I'm alone, I just feel lost, 
then small groups are for you. That's where you get community. That's where people invest in you. And so it's up to you to make that choice. But just to say thank you guys for being our community for our family. Thank you. Now, when you hear people share their testimonies and you hear people share their stories and their narratives, if you will, of where they've been, and then you get into the word of God and you begin to study these stories as we've looked at the rich young ruler. Last week, we looked at the life of Mephibosheth. Today, I want to look at the life of Uzziah. It's interesting when you start to contemplate these stories that some of these stories cause deep inspiration in your soul. Some stories, when you read them, they cause motivation. When you read the story of Uzziah, it causes you to tap the brakes and spend time in contemplation. Uzziah is a very interesting life. Very interesting life. Now, let me say this. Richard Nixon, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, Pete Rose, O.J. Simpson, and the beat goes on. When we hear these names, what pops in your mind? All of these guys were thrust into the limelight. All of these guys had great careers, if you will. But when you study each and every one of these lives of Nixon and Jackson and Elvis and O.J. and Pete Rose, while they were in the spotlight, They did certain things that scarred and muddied their name and reputation, even as we look at them today. You go, who were they and what did they do? And how did they start so well and yet finish so bad? And if I had to title the talk today, I would title it Finish Strong. When we look at Uzziah, Isaiah chapter 6, he's quoted often there. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah is giving this uh, prophetic word of how he saw the Lord exalted and lifted up, but he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I remember reading that and I'm like, who is Uzziah? Well, his name means Jehovah is my strength. And Second Chronicles 26 captures the narrative of this guy's story. His story matters. There's so much to to take away from the story and the narrative of Uzziah. He started well, but he finished bad. Verse 1, the people of Judah, there's two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. Listen to this. The people of Judah in the southern kingdom took Uzziah when he was 16 years old and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. Amaziah had been murdered. He was dead. And all of a sudden, Judah finds himself without a king. And they have now appointed and anointed young 16-year-old Uzziah to be their king. Verse 3, he was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. We'll get back to that. 
He went out and warred against the Philistines. His fame extended. He became very strong. Uzziah built towers. He dug out many cisterns. He had an army ready for battle. The total number of valiant warriors he had was 2,600 valiant men. He had an elite army of 307,500 men. Uzziah had a strong military. He prepared army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows. He made engines for war. Look at this. His fame spread, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. He was tremendously helped. He was greatly helped by God until he became strong, until he became strong, until he became strong. Verse 16, but when he became powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. Only priests could do that. Priests that had been consecrated under the Mosaic law. They were the only ones that could go in just outside of the, the veil of the Holy of Holies and burn incense unto the Lord. And he went in to do this. And Azariah, the priest, entered after him with 80 other priests of the Lord. And they opposed Uzziah and said to him, it's not for you to burn incense to the Lord. It's the priest's responsibility. Get out of the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord your God. But Uzziah was enraged, and while he was enraged with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the altar of the incense. Azariah and all the priests looked at him, and he was leprous on his forehead. They hurried him out of there, and Uzziah also ran to get out, because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house, being a leper. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. So Uzziah was buried with his fathers in the field of the grave which belonged to the kings. He was not even buried in the royal place. And the thing that is said, the last statement about Uzziah was, he is a leper. Now, I want to paint this story up for you a little bit. I want you to, to jog with me here. Because I find this guy to be very, very interesting. And I want to get to some practical observations and application that I think can help each and every one of us. But this story is buried in the scripture for a reason. And this story is buried there for contemplation to consider what can happen to a life that willfully turns and does not walk with the Lord. And I've seen this happen so many times. Verse 1 his father had been murdered. The people had enough confidence in him that even though he was 16 years old to make him king. Listen to me, young people, middle schoolers, high schoolers. Let me say this to you. Just because you're young does not mean that God cannot use you. Paul would write to Timothy and said, let no one despise your youthfulness, but in Faith and speech and conduct and behavior. Show yourself as an example to all. He was 16 years old when he became king. The king had authority. The king was in a position of power and influence at 16 years old. And for some of you, you will never know the influence you can have amongst your peers in high school and on the sports field or wherever you're at 
Just because you're young doesn't mean that you can't be used. Just because you're young doesn't mean that God doesn't want to anoint and appoint you for great assignments. Now, it's interesting in verse 3, it says, Uzziah reigned 52 years. If you study kingship of the Old Testament, 52 years was the second longest reign and rule in Judah's history. This guy was blessed. This guy was being used by God. This guy saw a lot of success in his life. He was a dependable leader. People looked at him. People respected him. People admired him. It says he did, verse 4, what was right in the sight of the, the Lord. He sought the Lord. He wanted to be a man that God could use. Now, now it's important to start strong, but it's, infor- it's important to finish great. And you start to study this, and it's like, man, this guy was winning, he was achieving, he was having success, and the story starts to unfold. Verse 5, underline that verse, highlight that verse, write that verse on a card, stick that verse on your mirror, in your car, in your bathroom, wherever, stick that verse there, as long as he sought the Lord God gave him success. And here's what I know with each and every one of us. Uzziah's success hinged on his dependence to the Lord. It wasn't his education. It wasn't his proclamation skills. It wasn't how well he could articulate statements. It wasn't the GQ styling and profiling look. His success hinged on as long as he sought the Lord. And John 15 says, abide in Christ. Hang with Jesus. Let the life of Christ flow in and through you. Apart from him, you will not produce any fruit. But in him, you can produce great fruit. Abide, hang, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Verse 6, he went out against the Philistines. The Philistines were cruel people. That's where Goliath came from. And when you study it, it's like, what happened? Well, this 2,600 valiant warriors and over 307,000 men in his army, they would go out and they could capture these cities and they would break down walls and they could take people captive. He, he was strong. He had a great army. As long as he sought the Lord, he prospered. The Ammonites applauded him in verse 8. The Ammonites were cruel people. You go back and study the lineage of where did the Ammonites come from? And it was Abraham when Lot broke away and Lot went out and started his own little section of people. And the Ammonites hated the Jewish people that served the faithful God. They had all these uh, pagan gods that they worshiped. The Ammonites did. And they were vile people. I mean, even when they would go into battle, if they captured you and a woman was pregnant, they would slice her open and pull the baby out and leave her for dead. And if they captured another guy, another uh, person from Judah or Israel, they would gouge his eye out. It was like, no, 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 we're mean. And it says that even the Ammonites looked and said, this dude's powerful. They didn't want to mess with him. But as long as he sought the Lord, he had success. He was a great military leader. Verse 15, his fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped. He was greatly helped. One of the finest kings. The Lord helped him 
until he became strong. And you see a lot of people when they start to reach that pinnacle of success and they start to have strength and power and control and authority, you're like, what happened to the guy? And you know, there's a lot of people that cannot handle success. There's some people that have no business having power. As long as he sought the Lord, verse 16, when he became powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. When he became powerful, he became proud. It led to his downfall. So if I had to title this whole thing with Uzziah, I would title it The Problem with Pride. The Problem with Pride. Now this story causes me to stop and go, contemplate where you're at, Tim. Contemplate where you were rescued from, how I've redeemed you, how I've restored you. As long as you seek the Lord, you'll have success. But don't think it's you. Don't think you're good. Don't think you're that brilliant. Don't think you're that wise. Don't think it's about you. You're a donkey giving divinity a ride. I can wipe you out and replace you with somebody else in a heartbeat. And I'm like, man, the problem with pride. Let me give you some principles. Number one, pride often begins with having success. God let him. When you begin to have success in life, and when people start to applaud you and elevate you and adore you and write all these cool stories about you, and people start to put you on a pedestal and on the pinnacle of, you're the man. Shh, be careful. Be, 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 be careful. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and, and the devil would love to use your success that you've experienced against you to create this pride heart inside of you. If pride takes root, it will crumble the successes that you've experienced. When you go back and read these lives, and I'm a sports fan, but you go back and see the running back that came out of Southern Cal that was drafted by the Buffalo Bills, and the Juice was the man. Juice was one of the toughest running backs and one of the most applauded running backs, but his name will always be scarred and muddied, and it will always be affiliated with Nicole Brown Simpson and her death. Marred, muddied, scarred. All of that success in the Heismans and the Pro Bowls are, he did what? You start to look at the life of Pete Rose. I was a big Red Machine fan growing up. Cincinnati Reds, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan. I can call the roster. Tony Perez played first base. Cesar Geronimo was in center. That was my team growing up as a little boy. I loved the big Red Machine. I wore number five. I got to meet Johnny Bench last year in Cooperstown. I was so happy. But Pete Rose, all-time major league leader in hits. Pete Rose had this great career, Charlie Hustle. And all of a sudden now, his name is affiliated with 
He gambled. He lied. He cheated. Hall of Fame members will not allow him in. Pete, your name got scarred. It got muddied. Elvis and Michael, what happened? You, you tripped. Both of you died, Prince. You OD'd. Next son, Watergate scandal. And when you start to look at this, pride often begins with having success. It often begins when you start to experience success. You're good. You're my hero. I want to be just like you when I grow up. Really? Number two, pride takes root when you forget where your success came from. As long as he sought the Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Verse 15, his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped. I have to stop and ask the question, who helped him? God helped him. God allowed him to become king. God gave him victories. God gave him wisdom to build these great armies. God said, hey, build these towers where you can put these valiant warriors up to see who's coming to, to attack you. God gave him wisdom to build these cisterns to hold water to provide nutrients for his people. That's where it came from. But Uzziah, what happened to you? I forgot where my strength came from. I forgot where my power came from. I forgot where my anointing came from. After Uzziah became powerful, his pride, his pride. Pride's a, a trippy thing. Other people not, might not be able to see it in you, but you can see it in you. And you know that God can see it in you. And each and every one of us walk in here today and we know what we're depending on to give us identity and worth and value in life and is it my resume and is it my past accomplishments or can I really say with David my strength comes from the Lord you've seen it I've seen it these are warning signs three pride will disrupt and destroy your relationship with God God is a jealous God he doesn't share his glory with nobody else he doesn't need us I'm Still not the fourth member of the Trinity. I'm not putting in an application to be that. God's God. God, God is good. God, God's got it under control. But when you become prideful, it will disrupt and destroy your relationship with God. You can't hear from God when you think that you're enough. When you're it. Nobody's it. I'm thrilled to watch the Olympics again. But as I started uh, watching the opening ceremonies the other night, I'm like, I pulled up that article on Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps has won more gold medals in swimming, and Mark Spitz was the man when we were younger for some of us, but Michael Phelps is the man. And Michael Phelps shares his story. I mean, I had all this success, and I had all this applause, and I got this DUI and busted for weed. But Ray Lewis sits down with him, and Ray's name is not going to be affiliated with just what he done. Ray got his life right, and Ray sits down with Michael Phelps and shares the hope of Christ with him and gives him a copy of The Purpose Driven Life. And Michael Phelps starts to read The Purpose Driven Life. And Michael Phelps shares that I repented, and I asked Christ to save me. I had no peace. I had no hope. I had contemplated suicide. I needed help. <clears throat> and some people, when you reach the pinnacle of success and you've got all this pride and all of a sudden God shatters you and you go, I, I, 
I don't have it. Yeah, I've got gold medals and I've got all this fame and commercials and advertisement, but, but I need help. That's not enough. And that's the narrative that Jeff Foxworthy shared with me. I mean, I had all this money, had all this fame, and I was empty. But I'm telling you this, if you're a believer and you claim to be a follower of Yeshua Jesus, and all of a sudden pride starts to take deep root, it will disrupt and destroy your relationship with God because God's jealous and he's not going to share his glory with none of us. He's a jealous God. Point four, pride will cause you to do some stupid things. I don't know if that's theologically the way others would word it, but I'm sitting there reading through it, and I'm like, pride causes people to do some stupid stuff. When you get all puffed up, you'll forget about the Word of God. When you think it's it, you're it, you'll forget about the principles of God. When you think your tassel has been turned and you got it, you'll do some stupid stuff. I've seen so many people negotiate the principles and the truth of God's word for the sake of temporal happiness. It will puff you up. Verse 16, he was unfaithful to the Lord. He entered the temple to burn incense on the altar and they said, Uzziah, you have no right to do this. You're not anointed to do this. You're, you're starting to function in an area that God didn't call you to. And you know, his name means Jehovah is my strength. But here's what happened with him. Based on what he did, he was basically declaring to the priest, to God and all others, I am above the law. You're above the law? So, so the rules apply to everybody but you? So, so you're above standards? Really? And I've dealt with people that have become so narcissistic in their thinking patterns that when you look at them, they become better than the rules, better than the law, better than. And I'm like, watch out. Verse uh, principle five would be this. Pride will lead you to confrontation. Pride's going to lead you to confrontation. When you become filled with pride, Uzziah's life screams this. You're going to be, you're going to be confronted, and it's going to lead you to want to fight. Azariah, with other 80, uh, 80 other courageous priests, confronted him. It's not right for you to do this. What you're doing is not going to be blessed by God. It's not going to be honored by the Lord. If pride begins to develop in your heart, it will eventually manifest itself. And those closest to you will recognize it. He's full of pride. He thinks it's about him. He's starting to believe the headlines and the print about him. He's thinking he's too cool. I'm telling you, it's going to manifest itself in all of us. People can't tell you what to do. When pride's confronted again, you watch it. You see a person who's wallowing in sin like Michael sharing his testimony and people come to you and pride goes, I ain't got to listen to you. It makes you want to fight. Pride will create all kinds of unnecessary brawls and tensions. You've seen it and so have I. It says, verse 19, Uzziah became angry. 
Pride doesn't think anyone has the permission to share a word with them. Pride is already assumed. I am the authority. I define what's right. I define what's wrong. And you start to get there, and I'm telling you, you have lost perspective of who God is, what God has to say, and how God wants to lead you. And it says, while he was raging, leprosy broke out on his forehead. While he was raging, see people start raging and break out in hives. I ain't never seen anybody get all ticked off and break out in leprosy. Man, you're unclean. That's dirty, man. That is a curse from above. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Is that not a great proverb? So the priests go in and say, hey, 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 Uzziah. And they tried to coach him and counsel him. Can I tell you something? The priest couldn't get him out of the temple, but God could. The same God that had raised him up was also the same God that smoked him with leprosy. What are you saying? The same God that does anything good in any of our lives is the same God that can smoke us at any time if he chooses to do so. We can, we can talk grace and love and mercy, but that same God that's full of grace and mercy and truth and incredible agape is also a God of wrath and judgment. And he smokes this dude saying, I ain't putting up with it. In our, in our society, some of the church flavors of our day, we want this God that we can sit on his lap and tell him what we want and he does it. But, but we don't want a God that disciplines us at any level. And I've seen people taken out at times, and I'm like, that dude died. What happened? And you would see his life filled with pride, and a guy start to slip away. And, well, he had a heart attack, and I said, yes, he did. And I've seen certain lives that I just felt like God said, you're done. You're done. 52 years, he served as king. Those last years were kind of rough. He started well, but he finished terrible. Can, can, can I tell you something? Steve Farrar, in his books, Point Man, and some of the other things he, he's written, he talks about finish strong. Finish strong. He said he wrote on a piece of paper, and it's on his desk. Don't do anything to screw it up. Make sure you keep seeking God. Make sure you stay on your knees. The more you know, the more you think that you can trust yourselves. I understand. It can be a prideful thing when God starts to use you. Is a donkey giving divinity a ride? You're looking going, he's using me? When God raises you up and gives you more money and more materialistic possessions, you go, shh, be careful. So here's some practical conclusions. Realize that no genuine success is possible apart from the Lord. Realize this, no genuine success. Success means having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. No genuine success is possible apart from the Lord. God prospered Uzziah. It was a blessing of the Lord. Don't ever forget that you are where you are today because of God's blessings. God's blessed us. Second thing I would say is this. The test of success 
exposes all people. The test of success exposes all people. Gene Edwards wrote a book that he titled A Tale of Three Kings. It's one of my favorite reads. I used to read that book every year. I gave it to Nick here recently, and and Nick read A Tale of Three Kings. Gene Edwards, a great thinker. But he talks about in The Tale of Three Kings, three kings. He talks about Saul, David, and Absalom. And it's a great read. It's about 105 pages. You can read it in about an hour. For me, two hours, but for you, an hour. But listen to what Edward says in this book. Many men pray for the power of God. Those prayers sound powerful, sincere, godly, and without a flawed motive. Hidden under such prayer and fervor is ambition, a craving for fame, the desire to be considered a spiritual giant. The interesting thing about God is he hears all those requests for power which fervent young men pray, and often he grants those requests for power and authority to unworthy vessels. Why does God do such a thing? He sometimes gives unworthy vessels a greater portion of power so that it might eventually be revealed for all to see the true state of the internal nakedness within man. And I'm reading Edwards going, well, I prayed for power. And God goes, you got it. But the test of success exposes all of us. You see a person... They've reached the pinnacle. What what does that mean? If God blesses you, walk humbly. Walk faithfully. Walk with incredible humility in all that you do. I'm telling you, I've learned that. Last week, people were like, One of the best messages I've ever heard, Tim. And I've had people tell me in the past, you suck, you're no good. They blow me up, they dog me. Can I tell you something? That wasn't the best message you've ever heard. I don't suck as bad as people tell me I do. But when you start to have success and you're leading and God puts you out in front of people at times, Some people will applaud you. You're going to be attacked as well. Walk humbly. Stay faithful. As long as he sought the Lord, he has success. The final thought would be this. God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God raised you up. God, God struck you down with leprosy. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is good. The goodness of God was never on trial. I don't call the shots. I don't get to. I don't get to call the shots. There's one authority, and his name is Christ Jesus the Lord. I shared with our people a long time ago, five and a half years ago, when we came here and they announced Tim's going to be our lead pastor and introduce Barb and our family. They're like, we've got a new leader. And I said, no, we don't. We don't. 
Maybe the leader got lost in the shuffle with pride and arrogance in the past. We don't have a new leader. The leader is Jesus Christ, the righteous. You may have a new lead pastor, shepherd, but the leader hadn't changed in the church for 2,000 years. He is the leader. He's the conductor and the authority, the perfecter of all things. Shh, stay humble. It ain't about you. And so I think God uses stories like Uzziah to go, shh, where are you? You got a little pride and a little ego and a little arrogance. You starting to get a little puffed up? You starting to think a little too high of yourself? It ain't about you. I can give and take away like that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. The problem with pride, would we walk humbly? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.